This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. The Drinkworks Home Bar by Keurig is the perfect start to set any holiday vibe. The Home Bar makes over 30 cocktails, brews, ciders, and more, all at the push of a button. From cosmopolitans to old fashions, each pod contains real ingredients and premium spirits. Insert the pod and let the Home Bar do the work. Go to drinkworks.com to order your Home Bar and see all available drinks. Drinkworks. Press play. Keurig is a registered trademark of Keurig Green Mountain, Inc., used under license. Please enjoy responsibly. Between prepping ingredients, setting the table, and planning your tomorrow, sometimes you need an extra hand with dinner. Delta Faucet is here to help. Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot with Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology and fill it with the perfect amount of water. Done. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to see how Voice IQ can fill your dog's bowl, wash your hands, and more. You know what I want. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk, and today bringing you a, a mailbag episode as the things with the Raptors have gotten a little bit monotonous. There's injuries, the team not so great offensively, tries their best defensively against some teams, that's not enough. The same characters doing the same things. We've seen the Raptors grifting and grinding to the same results for a couple weeks now. And only once we see players reintroduced are we going to see something a little bit different, but that's a little bit of a ways off. And if you want to hear about the games, just listen to a reaction podcast. I break down the games. I think I do a pretty good job of that. So for now, enjoy the mailbag. There's some pretty weird questions, but I will get to the basketball stuff first, obviously. And there's some really great basketball questions as well. Overall, super impressed with all the questions that were asked. I mean, you guys, all you people are really funny. You're informative, and uh, I was just, I was very pleased with the questions and the level of questions that were asked. It, it's going to make for a pretty fun podcast for me to record. There's lots of interesting stimuli to respond to here. And the first of that stimuli is from Andrew Williams at Way Truth Life. Says, might be a lame question, but I pegged the Raps going for 48 to 49 wins and finishing fifth at beginning of the season. What's your record and seeding prediction? Also, I had them out in the second round. Might change that. Do you see them in the Eastern Conference Finals? That's a really good question. I think that's probably a great place to start because, you know, everyone likes to revisit their predictions. If I remember correctly, I think I had the Raptors slated for between 49 and 51 wins. I thought that they would finish third in the East. I was lower on the Celtics 
for the regular season than I maybe should have been and higher on the 76ers in the regular season than I maybe should have been. But I think I was in the right spot with the Heat and the Bucks as far as where I think they'll finish now. I still think if they get everybody back, they're still going to finish around 49-50 wins. I think we have a, a good chance of having a really strong finish to the season. Something we've seen from a lot of teams. The Utah Jazz, for how many years, have had really, really good back ends of seasons. The Raptors having one of the toughest schedules to this point. Once they get everybody back, the schedule starts to break. It starts to get quite a bit easier. So I think there's a strong finish in play for sure. And Kyle Lowry and co. have done a good job of keeping the ship afloat. Meanwhile, so the Raptors, as far as the regular season, nothing's lost here. I think they should still be able to get the third or fourth seed. The second seed might be a little bit tough just with all the injuries, but if they weren't injured at all this year, I think the possibility of the second seed would have been very much in play. Obviously, the Bucks are incredible. Their regular season play is at you know a, a historically high level, so the Raptors wouldn't be first seed regardless, but the question of where they'll be in the playoffs is a really good one. I initially had them out in the second round, the same as you, and that was because I was lower on Fred than maybe I should have been. And I certainly wasn't low on Pascal, but Pascal, the way he came out in the season, it certainly lends itself to a higher potential team. At least you would think he was looked like an early MVP candidate, maybe a top five, top six guy as far as importance to a team. He's not a top 10 guy in the league just yet, but he's certainly making strides towards that. And that definitely allows the Raptors to look at Eastern Conference Finals, to look at the finals and try and hope and think that you know, maybe the Raptors around him can rally around Pascal as the new guy. And Kyle Lowry, of course, he's been incredible in this season. Just in the past couple games, we've seen that resurgence in the, the scoring aspect of his game. There maybe is a little bit of a dip off, a drop off in the playmaking. But, you know, that's been necessitated by who's been on the floor with him. Even just seeing Lowry able to get to the line, able to shoot from downtown, that's really, really meaningful for what the Raptors hope to be able to do in the playoffs. Lowry has to be aggressive, and the fact that he still has that mode to enter into is big time. I, I think that the Raptors, they definitely pose a larger threat as far as playoffs than I would have perceived at the start of the year. So do the Raptors make the Eastern Conference Finals? If they play the Heat or the Celtics to get into it, then yes. But if they play the Bucks. Or the 76ers, I don't think so. Because I'm still high on the 76ers. I still think if you have a seven-game series and you have that type of basketball, Joel Embiid is going to loom large. The you know the 76ers, they won the series when he was on the floor against the Raptors last year. Against a very, very incredible Raptors team. So to look at the Raptors without Kawhi Leonard, that kind of release valve to go to, and Pascal Siakam certainly ascending into that, I think that's that's tough. That's really tough for the Raptors to try and work around. They're a big defense, and they're going to seem even bigger in the pressure cooker that is the NBA playoffs. And the Bucks, I think the Bucks are too good. They just, Giannis has completely, you just look at how he plays. You look at how the Bucks are completely fine-tuned to the way Giannis wants to play. They're maximizing him. And I don't think Budenholzer would make the same mistakes he made last year. I don't think he's going to be playing Giannis 36, 37 minutes a game in important playoff games against the Raptors team, I think he would be playing them 42, 44 minutes around there so that the Raptors have less time to take advantage of the Bucks without Giannis on the floor. I know they don't have Brogdon, but the Bucks they're a good team, man, and the Raptors without Kawhi, tough to hang around.
really tough. And the next question from Jeff Berg at Jeff Berg 42, who uh, I see him quite often on Twitter. Smart guy. Um, I like his takes on basketball. I think he gets the game, reads it really well. Jeff Berg says, Raptors without Kawhi and Danny and with a ton of injuries have the same record as the Clippers. With health and Kawhi, how many wins do they have this year? Oh my God. Let's, you know, let's make it simple. Let's just say they have the same as the Bucks, and they would be better in the playoffs than the Bucks. If Kawhi re-signed with the Raptors, the Raptors would win this year. I don't think there's any doubt about it, barring any type of season-ending injury or anything like that. Even nagging injuries I don't think would be enough to stop the Raptors from winning this year. It didn't stop them from winning last year. Both Kawhi and Van Vliet and Lowry they all were dealing with different things at different times, especially Kawhi and Lowry towards the end. So, And the Raptors won with that team. This team this year with Siakam's ascension, hopefully a healthy Ananobi who, as we've seen, is at his best when he's playing next to really good players. Would just have a bevy of options around him, which makes his brutish strength on the weak side. And he's a very good wide-open shooter in the NBA. He's not a very good open shooter in the NBA. He has to have the time to set up. That's why we saw in the game against the Blazers last night. He had those two um, triples he made. He had a lot of time to work himself into those to get his feet set right, align his elbow, all that kind of stuff. He's not a super smooth shooter just yet, so that extra time to line himself up means a lot. You have him, and he's an all-NBA-level defender. Add that on top of that. Fred Van Vliet, better in a lot of ways, especially playmaking. There's so much to like here. If Kawhi was with the Raptors, it's there's no doubt in my mind they would wash Anthony Davis and LeBron. I don't care what you say. And the Clippers wouldn't be even in talks. They would just be waiting for the next big free agent or whatever whatever it was if Kawhi didn't go. And the Raptors, I mean, my God, if they had Kawhi this year, they'd be an absolute, they'd be a monstrosity. They would be the clear-cut favorites to win the title, and rightfully so. Nobody else would really come close. I'm not sure what that means for Paul George or Russell Westbrook, James Harden and all that as far as the dominoes that fell in order for Kawhi to get Paul George in LA and then the fallout of that in Oklahoma City that saw Chris Paul going there, Westbrook going to Houston, obviously Shea Gilgis Alexander and Co. heading over to Oklahoma City and a slew of draft picks. I'm not super sure, but the Raptors, I think, without question would be the favorites to win, and they would win. They definitely would win. And what record would they be? Let's say 32-6. and six. Actually, I suppose based on the amount of games they play, 32-5. and five. Half a game behind the Bucks right now. Actually, I guess they'd be half a game up. Half a game up on the Bucks, and in first in the Eastern Conference and looking to get another championship. That's how I'd see it. They would be, un- they would be incredible. What a monstrosity of a team that would be. And the next question from Jen... At Gen Direct Music says, Is there a win-now move the Raptors can make that's marginal but could help a lot in the playoffs? Something like a norm plus a protected first or second rounder for insert player here. Yeah, that's I think that's kind of interesting as far as if that's a viable option. I was talking about this with Adam McQueen on last week's podcast. I've talked about this with a couple people. I really want the Raptors to try and target Gary Harris. I'm... I'm really high on Gary Harris. I think he's a terrific player. His defense is one of the best in the league without being acknowledged for it, I don't think. 
I think he's an undervalued asset. I think that his shooting is much better than where his percentages are at. He's really, really good off ball. He's one of the highest dribble handoff scores and cut scores in the league. That's because he's really able to play off of Jokic. I think he would mesh perfectly with a guy like Gasol. I really think that Gary Harris would be the guy to try and go after. And that could be a guy that I think might put the Raptors, get them close to being over the hump of a 76ers or a Bucks series, just because the Raptors would have to play an almost perfect series. But Gary Harris does allow them some breathing room because I think he'd fit so well in the Raptors scheme defensively and offensively. I love his game, but I don't think that's something that the Raptors can do that would be considered marginal. But to some people, it might be considered marginal. And even throwing in a first-round pick, I don't think that the Nuggets would take Norm plus a first-rounder for Gary Harris. I just don't really see it. And as far as extra help in the playoffs, I think the Raptors mostly have to worry about Philadelphia and Milwaukee. I don't actually... I think the Raptors would be able to win a series against Boston. Well, I said it earlier, against Boston or Miami, especially if they're healthy. I think the Raptors have the tools and the variable offense to get around those defenses and to find things that work, especially since they've kept the Pascal Siakam pick and roll kind of tucked away and are obviously saving it for something. I think that they're able to get around that, and I don't know why they would trade draft assets to add something that wouldn't put them completely over the top. And you basically need a star to get over the Bucks or the 76ers, either one after the other or get really lucky one at a time. But no matter what happens to the Raptors, you probably need a star or a pseudo star. I mean, Zach Lowe voted Bojan Bogdanovic onto the All-NBA third team last year. And even a guy like him, I don't even think he moves the needle so much that the Raptors become good enough for the finals. But, you know, this is this all depends on how the Raptors look after they come back from these injuries. And Norm Powell is supposed to be close. Marcus Gasol, Pascal Siakam, not so much. Fred Van Vliet, it's up in the air with him. So, we're still very much looking at a team that's kind of cobbled together right now, and we don't see the full effect of how good the Raptors can be. We're all still waiting on that. I think it was maybe 10 games in the year before the Raptors had everything kind of chopped up and torn apart. They have not been, they've been piecemeal since, and we're still all waiting for that. But as far as the Raptors to really be a finalist this year, they need a star or a pseudo star, and that's that's definitely not marginal. So I don't know if that's in the cards. However, comma, you uh, you and I both know that Masai Jiri is far more creative and intelligent than I am, especially at this kind of stuff. So if anybody can figure it out, I'd put my faith in him. So we're in good hands regardless. Next question from all at Enterprise. The second E of Enterprise is a three, though. So Enterprise, E-N-T, three, R-P-R-Y-Z-E, says... I believe a sport's most organic form is the way it's played in the park without formal officiating. Then ball ranks way behind soccer, hockey, and baseball. How would you change the NBA rules to allow the game to be played more naturally, i.e. without charges flopping, etc.? That is a fantastic question. I think I can agree with you on that a sport is definitely most organic when it is in without formal officiating. I think that makes a lot of sense. There is something beautiful about seeing basketball played without the intervention of whistles and all that kind of stuff, especially a good run at the park or whatever else. I think that hockey and soccer, you're right on that they can exist pretty easily um, organically like that. Baseball, 
as far as the strike zone, I don't know. I actually, I, I played a decent level of baseball growing up, and even just picking it up at the park, finding enough kids to make it happen, kind of tough, getting people who wanted to play all the different positions, and kids who could, you know, reliably throw good enough fastballs down the middle that you had enough to swing at. I, man, I think baseball, even, I live in Mexico, and I don't, and I know baseball is huge down here, and I don't see enough of it organically. It does very much seem like a sport that needs the ump, that needs a lot of people hanging around, and it needs to be organized. So I don't think I agree with baseball, but hockey and soccer, I definitely think organically they they definitely exist pretty well. If they're better than basketball, I mean, I'm definitely biased. Basketball is my favorite sport, and you know I'm never going to think any sport is better. I definitely watch a decent amount of soccer. I watched a lot of hockey growing up. I still tune in every once in a while, but I'm definitely pretty far away from hockey. But playing hockey growing up, playing whether it was, you know, shinny or whatever else was really nice as long as you had somebody who was ready to dress up and put the goalie pads on, which not everyone had that all the time. But also then you just play posts or crossbar or whatever it is to get a goal. But hockey really is... When you play shinny, I think a beautiful game and pick up basketball. I play a ton of pick up basketball and I think that it still exists in a good way. But, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe not to the degree that soccer and hockey exist, but soccer by far, I think, is the most harmonious as far as just having a ball out there. You'd put two sticks in the ground or two shoes and have a net and that's it exists in such an easy way. And it's it's so simple a concept, you know, so. I think soccer definitely, you're right there. Hockey, I mean, I'll appeal to you. You obviously watch. I've seen you comment on tons of Raptor stuff. If you're saying hockey's better, I assume you watch lots of both, so I'll appeal to you on that. But as far as how to make it better without the charges and flopping, etc., even though our beloved Kyle Lowry is a proponent of this, I think this would be one of the ways to make the game better. And that's when people are passing but their forward momentum is carrying them into the paint. Kyle Lowry's really good at spotting those guys out, planting his feet and getting charges when the pass is already made. And that feels like a technicality kind of. That doesn't really feel like basketball. That feels like, you know, he's just using the rules to cheat a little bit. And, you know, it's not cheating. He's playing within the rules, of course, but that seems like not a basketball play. And how to eliminate non-basketball plays from basketball is probably the way to do it, right? So you have guys like Chris Paul, like Kyle Lowry, who are kind of, there's a lot of what they do as far as drawing contact and doing stuff like that. That seems very far from what basketball organically should be, which is you trying to get to the cup. There's quite a bit of foul baiting. So how do you get away from that? You need to have very, very specific rules made and I talked about this on a podcast, I can't remember who with, but we we likened James Harden to a lawyer who's looking for precedents and looking for interpretations of rules so that he can wriggle out of life sentences, let's say, because if a rule was written, and for the same reason, I think this is the easiest way I can put it. So there's been a ton of travel calls this year, and some of them are really egregious, some of them are really, really, for example, Matt Thomas got called for a travel because they thought he moved his pivot foot. He didn't, but the reason why they're calling that travel is because if you don't call that travel where the pivot foot gets picked up before you're putting the ball down, then that means that whether the pivot foot is removed an inch off the ground, 
or if you're almost putting it back down again, in the eyes of the rule, that's the same travel. So that means if you're not going to call it when it's an inch or maybe a few inches off the ground and the guy's just putting the ball down a little bit late, or if he's really getting that step on the other guy without putting the ball down, that's the same violation. And if you're not going to call it at its very first inception of breaking the rule, then it's tough to start calling it on the way to being egregious. And then it just becomes completely up to the ref's interpretation. And that's poor rule writing, right? If you're not going to enforce it, if you're going to let the the game kind of work that way, you just kind of have to call it every single time. Otherwise, people will start abusing it. Like we've seen with James Harden, we're way past the point that the gather dribble and the zero step are, they're both considered very much tools in a player's arsenal and they will never not be until there's a resounding rule change that fights against it. But as for now, the guys who are good at it and deceptive at it are the guys who get to do it. And James Harden is very good at it, very deceptive. So basically, you just have to have more intricate rules and more specific rules if you don't want the interpretation to introduce foul baiting or a bit of, you know, kind of chintzy playmaking and that kind of stuff. But as far as what I think of that stuff, I think the NBA is in a really good place. I am an admitted fan of James Harden. I get why people I get why people don't like it. I think he's one of the best offensive players of all time. I love watching him go to work. I think it is a marvel to watch people try and stop him. His interpretation of the rules has opened up so many interesting little aspects of basketball that he found first. That's really interesting to me. I like that a lot, but I totally get why people... They, they want something that seems more organic. They don't want people playing right near the rules. We Some people watch basketball to see athletic feats, not specific, oh, I figured out how a rule doesn't apply so I can game the system here. Some people definitely want to see, you know, James Naismith had this idea of basketball and it's completely different from when he thought of it. Now, you know, if he saw Giannis Antetokounmpo, he'd probably have a heart attack. He'd be like, wow, what is this game they're playing? It looks incredible and the athletic feats are crazy but maybe if he saw James Harden kind of dribbling the basketball being a wizard within that way he would say this guy's breaking the rules so I'm not super sure but you know there's room for both in the league right now I think the league's in a really good place but that's super that's super interesting you just have to have very specific rules and you have to have really smart people writing those rules so that's easier for refs to interpret the game in a more black and white way so that everyone can you know align with what the call is and that call can be consistent as far as right now with charges flopping etc like you said inconsistent refing that's that's pretty much it next question is from colleague joshua howe at how evolution says if you were drafted by the raptors and got to choose a number to wear what would it be excluding numbers to likely be retired well i think if I got to be drafted right now by the Raptors and I got to choose a number, I would just do double zero and then I would put the exact same post that Melo put up where he was saying the mysticism of zero zero and put all those fake deep reasons on a social media post and I would just try and make it really funny and then I'd be double zero because I'd score probably zero points the whole year. So as far as um, as far as what number I would pick... I think that would be the number. That would be the one I'd choose. Either that or I'd be number 17 and I'd change my last name to Valanchunas so that every time I walked out on the court, 
the people who maybe don't pay that much attention to the Raptors would think that Jonas Valanciunas had just shrunk. That would be funny, right? If I was just walking out on the court and they're like, whoa, Valanciunas, I thought he was a big guy. Does he have a little brother or something? Might be worth it. Might be worth it for the gag. I'm not super sure. But I, it would either be double zero to, you know, make fun of Mellow a little bit, poke fun at the fake deep stuff, or number 17, and change my last name to Valanchunas so that people were like, oh, wow, he's so short. Was he always this short? Certainly he was a large fellow. Who's this man, this number 17 Valanchunas? I, I can't place him, but he seems so familiar. I think that would be the way to go, actually. So, yes, I'm decided now. It's not double zero to make fun of Mellow. It's... Number 17, change my name to Samson Valanchunas, and it confused people who aren't super up-to-date on the Raptors and just make people do double takes constantly. I think that would be the most fun thing to do. The next question is from Nathan Alexander at G Alexander says, what is DeRozan's future in the league, and do you see him ever returning to the Raptors? This is a super good question, and one of the most interesting questions I think you can ask me a person whose favorite player is DeMar DeRozan. His place with the Spurs right now is confusing because a lot of the fans don't like him. They see him as blocking the potential and the rise of a few certain young players. And the Spurs seem, and I'll put that in quotation marks because, you know, the stats back it up. But DeMar DeRozan is also still very much a good player. So it doesn't make all that much sense, much like the Raptors how. They relied on DeRozan so often in his tenure here, but a lot of the time, just because of Kyle Lowry and how great he was when DeRozan was off the floor and Kyle Lowry plus bench came in, DeRozan, the team, seemed to play better when DeRozan was not on the floor. That wasn't really the whole picture, but we're running into a bit of that with the Spurs, who play better without LaMarcus Aldridge, who play better without DeMar DeRozan, by the statistics. And... Greg Popovich and co. R.C. Buford, they seem to like DeRozan quite a bit. They might even want to extend them. For how much money, I don't know. Last year, it made a lot of sense. Things seemed to be working out pretty well. He, you know, he had an all right postseason run. He was, he was okay. He was definitely good in the regular season. The Spurs were winning games, most importantly. But even in that season, the Spurs bench was really, really good. And they were winning games with their bench for the most part and asking DeRozan and Aldridge to help lift up the starting unit so that they kind of stayed close in games and they knew that the Spurs bench was really good and would help them win a ton of games in the regular season. That's not really happening this year. So what is his future? I'm not super sure because if he has an idea of himself as a max player still, and you know Harrison Barnes is making a lot of money, DeMar DeRozan... He's obviously going to want to make a lot of money, too. There's lots of players in the league who are getting paid. Fred Van Vliet, who knows how much he's going to get paid, right? So seeing DeMar DeRozan actively understand, like, hey, I'm going to take a pay cut, doesn't seem within the realm of reality. It just doesn't seem like something that's going to happen. So what will it be? He'll obviously he'll look for a team to pay him you know, a lot of money because get that money, man. And... The only way I see a Masai Ujiri-led front office going after DeMar DeRozan is if he's, you know, on a much smaller contract. I don't think it makes much sense for the Raptors to have DeRozan on this team. 
It doesn't fit with a lot of the players. We see how often they need floor spacing. DeRozan doesn't really add any of that. And that's, you know, that's the big, that's the question with DeMars. Is he going to start shooting threes? Or is he going to be such a prolific creator that he can create easy looks for three-point shooters around him, which necessitates his inclusion? And he's able to get to the rim. He can hit the occasional mid-range shot. He's a good, variable offensive piece. He can score in quite a few different ways, just not at the three-point line, really. Who, you know, who values that? Who's going to pay for that? Who thinks that their team needs a player like that, either to stay in the playoff picture, or maybe they want to go from being an eighth seed to like a, a four or five seed, and they want a guy, you know, a guy who needs a running mate like DeRozan? I'm not super sure. But as far as him signing with the Raptors in the later days of his career... I think the Raptors would chomp at the bit to sign him for cheap when he becomes a cheap player because I think as far as, you know, jersey sales, good memories, throwbacks, and even when DeRozan would have, you know, kind of a throwback game like Melo just had against the Raptors, it's very exciting for fans to think about the player he used to be. And he's still that player, I'm just saying, in the future when his cost comes down. I think the Raptors would love for that to happen obviously it's a great PR move it makes a ton of sense kind of like what we saw you know a lot of Raptors people want Vince Carter to play his last year with the Raptors and that makes sense to me at least I think it it feels like you're tying up a story and it feels in narratively it's quite it's quite pleasing and DeMar he's the one who has the beef the Raptors fan base the Raptors organization had the beef with Vince now that all got smushed, and that's that's really good. I like Vince Carter a lot. I'm glad it did. He's one of the most consummate professionals in the league. He's mentored countless players and, by all accounts, is such a great dude. So that's great. DeMar was wronged by the front office. Is he going to swallow whatever pride was hurt in that scenario to come back to Toronto? I know he loves the fans, but the organization, why would he do that? It's completely up to DeMar because if the opportunity was there and he was a cheap contract, the Raptors, you know, a 34, 35-year-old DeMar or 33, they'll sign him in a heartbeat for the minimum or whatever it is, the mid-level exception. I think that would happen. It's just up to DeMar if he wants to allow that to happen. And I'm not his boy. We're not We're not friends like that. So I can't actually peer into the mind of DeMar to see if he would or not. So... It's tough to say, but I think that's a really interesting question. I'm, as one of DeMar's biggest fans, I'm very interested in seeing how this all pans out for him because playing next to Kyle Lowry was really good for DeMar's game. And he's still playing well in San Antonio, but, you know, it's not it's not super ideal for him. They're not winning games. You have to win games to mask some of DeMar's, you know, the deficiency in his play. Not winning games while having you know, a plus scorer on one end who doesn't shoot threes, who doesn't play a lot of defense. People are going to start looking for the deficiencies in the game, especially fans. And they're going to start saying, well, hey, this guy, he's not shooting threes. We could get Lonnie Walker in. Maybe with the extra usage, he becomes what DeMar is, but he shoots threes instead. He also plays better defense. I'm not super sure, but basically, yeah, DeMar, I'm, I couldn't tell you for sure if he's coming back. But I can see it. I think it's a possibility. So I hope that answers your question well enough. And listener, I will be returning 
with the rest of the mailbag, but after this message from a sponsor, so stay tuned for that, and I'll be right back. Here's the scenario. Your insurance company is denying your long-term disability claim despite the fact that you've paid premiums for years and your own doctor insists that you're not well enough to work. If this sounds familiar, call Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. You'll speak with me, Brian Goldfinger, a licensed and experienced lawyer who practices exclusively on behalf of accident victims, disability claimants, and their families. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. And welcome back. Still Samson folks, still answering the mailbag questions. Thank you very much for listening. And the next one from Benchwarmer at Wench underscore Barmer says, if Nick Nurse had to change places with one Raptors rotational player for the rest of this season, who would it be? Ellipses points. That player would have to be head coach. Hashtag we the champs. First of all, yeah, we are. We are the champs. Secondly, what a fantastic question. So not only does Nick Nurse have to replace what that player was doing, but that player has to coach. So who do I think, basically, who do I think is best suited to coach the Toronto Raptors as far as bench players? And considering that the Raptors, their bench is really, really young or really inexperienced, there isn't an easy veteran to go to to say, okay, this guy's going to be the coach. The natural guy you would think would be the coach would be like Kyle Lowry or something. But it makes no sense to have him replaced by Nurse, even though he might be the best coach. So who do the Raptors, what what position are they operating at that they have too many guys? And of those guys, who who makes a great coach? Who Who seems to be a great coach? What a great question because Nick Nurse obviously was a player coach. There's, this is very, very good. I'm trying to think here, and I don't want to take too long. Okay, I think I have it. All right, yes, I have it. Okay, Patrick McCaw, and I'll detail exactly why. A, because Nick Nurse doesn't know that he doesn't have to play Patrick McCaw 34 minutes a game, but Patrick McCaw will understand that he can play Nick Nurse zero minutes a game. He'll understand that, and Patrick McCaw also played for the Warriors. He's won three championships. Maybe he reads the game pretty well. There's been murmurs about Patrick McCaw being great in practice, so that obviously means he's quite intimate with the sets they run. I think Patrick McCaw is the guy because he'll recognize, hey, you know what? I don't have to play Nick Nurse 34 minutes like he was playing me. Nick Nurse, you're a scrub. I'm going to leave you on the bench, my guy, okay? You need to chill out there. And Patrick McCaw, he's he's been around. He's won some championships. He's got He's got the championship fabric in his DNA. He's made of it. So he's going to help the team. He's going to lead them, you know, to the finals. And Nick Nurse maybe comes in, maybe hits a corner triple one time throughout the whole year. We're all waiting for it. He's getting scored on every possession on the other end. These are NBA players. I mean, we all know it would happen. So Patrick McCaw, that's definitely the guy. Patrick McCaw is the new head coach of the Raptors. Nick Nurse is playing zero minutes per game. And, you know, it's it's very, very good. The Raptors are, are doing well. And also, because he replaces McCaw and McCaw doesn't play him, you know, Nurse can do what Kyle Lowry did in that when Kyle Lowry was injured, he took like an assistant coaching role on the team and really he he worked in that type of role and it was really good for the Raptors as far as bench bosses go. Nick Nurse can do exactly that. He can be like, you know what, Pat, 
I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to help coach, but I'm not going to play it all. I'm just going to help you coach. And Patrick McCaw, humble guy, he'll probably take that and try to be like, you know what? You're just a player. You're just an end of bench guy. But Nick Nurse, I tell you what, I'll let you help me coach the game. And they'd win a bunch of coaches challenges together, let's say. Or at least I would hope. Next question from OG Rudgal at Liz Rudgal, that's G-Y-A-L, says, Love your show except for the voices. Why did you introduce fake characters? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I understand why, you know, maybe some people don't like it. I've received quite a bit of feedback of people who do like it, who do think it's funny. And basically what it is for me is that I know that the podcasting space in Toronto especially is very competitive Basically, with the 76ers, with Boston, with New York, other teams, there aren't really dedicated podcasts that will do a reaction podcasts after every single game. Usually, they only do it after wins. The Raptors basically have William Liu, who does it, myself, who does it, and Sean Woodley, who does it as well. And there's a lot of other really great podcasts, but those are the people who are doing the heaviest amount, I think, the largest amount of episodes is myself, Sean Woodley, and William Liu. And I have to be able to differentiate myself from those guys. And I do think I know the game really well. I get a lot of great feedback of people who think that I break the game down really well after the game. But evidenced by some people, you know, leaving after William Liu left, there's still a huge listener base for this podcast, of course. But And thank you very much for sticking around, and thank you so much for saying that you love the show. I know that some people, if they just want a breakdown, if they're used to William Liu, they might just stick with that. I need to differentiate myself somehow, if that's a humorous element. Maybe it's worked, maybe it hasn't, maybe I've lost more people that way, but some people seem to really like it. I get messages about it, I get emails about it, DMs, whatever it ends up being, and it makes my show unique in a way for me. And even if it doesn't stick around forever, I mean, I you know, I don't do them that often. But they make this podcast my own. And they make it so that you're not going to hear that from any other guy. William Liu, I think, is a smart basketball mind. I think he breaks the game down. Sean Woodley, the type of, you know, fandom that he has on Twitter, the type of things he's able to do seems more loose than what, you know, I'm able to do with Raptors Republic is that, some people do want specifically just basketball. And Sean Woodley, a lot of the time, he's able to explore a lot of aspects outside of that just because his listener base, a lot of it comes from Twitter and people who found him because of his Twitter brand. So if they're fans of the Twitter brand, it definitely fits with what he's putting on the podcast. And that can be more stylistically close to him. For me, I inherited this podcast. And while I appreciate so much that I inherited this podcast, that means that the listeners... You know, I'm sure there are some now who have come over to the podcast because they like me, but a large part of the listener base is inheriting me. So they didn't choose me. They didn't pick me. And, you know, if I'm not special or unique, why even listen? Because you can just, you honestly can listen to William Liu. You could listen to Sean Woodley. You can listen to a bunch of other Raptors Republic podcasts. So in order to stand out in a market that is so full of talent and so full of content, And I mean, the Toronto market is so full of talented people and the content is really, really high level. I mean, I have to reckon with that and I have to think about that as host of this. And I I do want a future both in podcasting and in writing. So I try and 
distinguish myself in some ways. And the voices are an aspect of that. I definitely understand why some people don't like it. You know, maybe maybe they're seen as annoying for some people, definitely. And I get that. Some people don't like it. But for me, you know, I like impressions. I like doing it. I have fun with it. If you hear me guest, you know, guest on any other podcast, I'm usually quite funny. I'm cracking jokes because I think that I don't have to be the host anymore and I can just kind of be myself and I don't have to stick to any type of format. And that is part of who I am. I like to be funny. I like to do voices and that kind of stuff. If you don't like it, I am sorry. Most of the episodes do not create voices. They don't include them. So there's a lot of it that I am just breaking down the game and I think I am really good at that. I'm sorry that the voices are something that you don't like. However, I have received quite a bit more positive feedback about the voices than negative feedback. And it does differentiate me in a market that has so many voices that do just want to break down the game. I have to try and have something that is completely my own. And I do think I am a good interviewer and I do my best. So it it is something that, you know, I'm just working on things. I'm trying to find my way. You know, William Liu, he does reaction podcasts. He's a giant in this industry and he catches a lot of the traffic. I need to try and make my own way and I need to make this podcast my own. That's one of the ways I think that I can't be emulated when I'm doing these types of things. The the Bob's Burgers guy, the Brooklyn guy, the Nick Nurse, Jesse from Breaking Bad, whatever it ends up being. I think that nobody's going to be able to do that. That's an aspect of my podcast. However often they come in, which isn't that often, I think that makes it my own. And this is long-winded. I'm sorry for making it so long. But it, it definitely is something I think about. It's definitely something that... I'm just trying to differentiate myself and whether that's just my voice being like this or whether if I'm being a little bit over the top, I'm not super sure. But that's that's just something I, you know, it's a consideration of mine because this is work for me and I'm trying to make this a viable job for my future. So I have to make myself appealing as a personality. I have to make myself both good at my job and entertaining and introducing voices for some people has captured that. It has been entertaining for some people. For you... Um, I'm sorry you don't like the voices. They usually don't go on for that long. And maybe maybe I should cut the bits way shorter so that the people who like it, you know, they can just get 10 seconds of it. And the people who don't like it, you know, you barely have to listen to it. So, yeah, sorry you don't like it, but it's they are staying. But may, maybe in a smaller capacity now. The next question from Alberto Rosado. This is my guy, my, my best friend down in Mexico, Beto. He's a... Uh, a genius from Peru. I'll say that much. I love him to death. Beto says, how would the NBA world, especially Twitter, be if you swap Kyle Kuzma and Fred years ago? Well, it would be much different for me because A, you know, the Raptors wouldn't have won a championship and B, Fred Van Vliet likely wouldn't have gotten an opportunity with the Lakers. So if that had happened, Kuzma would have been on the Raptors. Fred Van Vliet might not even be in the league because he wouldn't have gotten that opportunity. He was a he was a G League guy, and the Raptors 905 took him on, and maybe he's still in the G League. Pierre Jackson played in the G League for a long time. There's a lot of really good players who were there for far too long. So who knows what happens to Fred? I'd like to think he would have, you know, ascended anywhere, but who's to say? And Kuzma being on the Raptors means that the Raptors can't play that you know, really great defense that they can because Kuzma is a, you know, he's a liability. And 
they wouldn't have had they would have had to put Kyle Lowry on Steph Curry, and it really helped that Kyle Lowry was on the back end of the defense guarding guys like Clay Thompson or Iguodala for stretches because having him on the back end of the defense acting like a quarterback, shouting out stuff, being a really good guy at closing out to the opposite, the weak side corner, that's really important. And if they didn't have Van Vliet, the three-point shooting isn't there. Kuzma is not the three-point shooter that you know Van Vliet is. He's not the defender he is. He's not the playmaker he is. Basically, bad things happen for the Raptors if they have Kuzma instead of Fred. And bad things happen for Fred, too, because it was so good that he was able to stick around with the Raptors franchise, a franchise that, A, believed in him, but put him on a pedestal and allowed him to grow into this player. He's had so many opportunities that I don't think he would have had with every team, and certainly not the Lakers. So, interesting question. And I think basically what it means is that it's really bad for the Raptors, it's really, really bad for um, Fred Van Vliet, and also probably pretty bad for Kyle Kuzma because he, his being in Los Angeles necessitates his, his stardom or pseudo-stardom because he is definitely not good enough to earn that type of you know, recognition on his own. His play doesn't you know, warrant that, but he's a, you know, he dresses cool. He's a cool dude, and that, that gets you a long ways in... In L.A., I mean, there's, I think he had more followers than the Clippers did, their Instagram, or whatever it was, something last year. But Kuzma, definitely, being in L.A. has assisted his brand and his whole thing so much. And, you know, I think there's a bit of turmoil now with, you know, maybe him getting traded soon. I'm not super sure, but I think Van Vliet, Kuzma being swapped is bad for everyone, basically. Because the Lakers wouldn't know what they had. Van Vliet would go by the wayside. Kuzma would fail in Toronto because he can't play defense, and Toronto wouldn't win a chip. So I'm very glad that didn't happen, but thank you for the question, Beto. Next question from Duncan Kinney at Duncan Kinney says, why do people actually think Masai wants to trade for Andre Drummond? I think Masai does want to trade for Andre Drummond. I just don't know what the terms would be. There's a lot of players that I think Masai would like to play for, and undoubtedly, the Raptors could use Andre Drummond in some capacity. I mean, why not? He's he's big. He's athletic. I know he's not a super intelligent defender, but when mediocre thinking defenders, and you know, that's not a comment on him outside of the NBA. I swear to God, it's just Andre Drummond not being a high IQ defender with the Pistons. When non-high IQ defenders are surrounded by high IQ defenders, that genuinely usually helps elevate them into a different level of thinking defense. Andre Drummond, he's a big body. He's athletic. He is a monster on the glass. I don't know what the Raptors would need to trade for him, but he is an undervalued asset in the NBA right now, I think. And it's completely dependent on what the Raptors would be trading. If it was Serge Ibaka, I don't think I'd do it. If it's something less, I'd probably do it. I mean, you'd be crazy not to. Detroit Pistons fans would be probably pissed at the idea of just getting Serge Ibaka back. Raptors fans would be pissed at the idea of sending Serge Ibaka, which is usually an indicator of maybe a good trade that both sides don't like it because they don't want to see their player go. I, I think that's always been a decent indicator of it, of you know equal value. I wouldn't want that to happen, but I, I, want, I want Drummond in some capacity. I mean, he would help the team a lot, I think. You know, if you use him correctly, and Nick Nurse has shown that he's a, a very cerebral coach. So, you know, I, I think he does want him in some respects, but certainly not for a, a large asking price. 
Next question is from JD Kirante at JD Kirantz. If Ronde and OG compete on who loses their balance first, who will win? Okay, so if this is like going through a course, let's say a low rope course or something, I think Ronde Hollis Jefferson wins. If it's a stationary, you stand on one leg thing, I think OG Ananobi wins because OG Ananobi has those huge stabilizing thighs. But when OG Ananobi starts moving, you know, things get pretty complicated for him. He starts feeling a little bit extra long. Everything starts to feel a little bit extra tangled up. And, you know, OG starts to fall and starts to be off balance and that kind of stuff. So it, it, it depends. If it is a an isolated thing, like gymnastics, I think OG. But if there's external stimuli trying to stop them from being on balance or something, I think Ronde Hollis Jefferson, because I think as of right now, Ronde is more familiar with his body when responding to external stimuli, but OG is better in a a closed environment. So as far as that, they both win one scenario of it for sure. The next question is from Shashank Srinivasan at Shosh underscore NK. If you had to choose one raptor to join on a one-way mission to start colonizing Mars, which player would you pick? That's a great question because there's a lot of characters on the raptors. And you want somebody who's not really irritable, but somebody that can also play along with jokes. Somebody who will, you know, be responsible, look after themselves. And I think I would go with OG Ananobi. I think OG is my guy through and through. And I think OG Ananobi, from what I've seen, our humor is kind of similar. He really likes that deadpan type. And, you know, he dresses He dresses cool. I definitely like the way OG dresses. So maybe culturally, we're a little bit similar in what we take in. Obviously, with the fashion and the humor, we're already hitting on two aspects. And you know what? His body looks incredible, which means, A, he takes care of his body, which means that he's more likely to take care of other aspects of his life. So I'm going to I'm going to say him. Him or Marcus Saul, Marcus Saul so I could finally become 100% fluent in Spanish and he would help me with that that extra bit at the end and we could speak Spanish to each other and English to each other and it would be it would be great. And so either one of those two I think would be the way to go for me. But I didn't I'd enjoy it either way. I'd pick their well, you know what? They would both hate it because I'd pick their brains about everything basketball and they'd be like, "Man, I just want to be human." colonizing Mars. I don't want to be a basketball player. There's a reason I signed up for this, okay? Because you picked me. So obviously I don't want to be here, but I don't want to talk about basketball with you either. So just please leave me alone, man. So basically it's, you know, they're going to dislike me either way because, you know, I I brought them along for this. They're going to resent me. So I need to pick somebody who will get over their resentment. And OG Ananobi, he feels like a guy who can get over his resentment pretty quick. So I'll go with OG. Final answer, OG Ananobi for me to colonize Mars with. Next question is from Chris Bridgen, at Chris P. Bridgen. Do you make New Year's resolutions? And if so, what are yours for 2020? I don't often make New Year's resolutions, but I did this year. I was surrounded by friends, and they asked me what mine was, and I thought about it for about 15 seconds, unbroken, Nobody interrupted me. The chemistry of the party was waning. Everybody was, you know, 
waiting with bated breath and I was completely taking the air out of the whole situation because I had nothing prepared. So I announced that my New Year's resolution was to better prepare myself to answer questions in front of a large group of people and to not make them wait. It got a laugh. It, it seemed to be pretty funny. and um, But that was my New Year's resolution. And it genuinely, that is my New Year's resolution because I actually hope to be part of a few hoops talk um, situations, the, the big basketball talk type of scenarios they have where everybody gets in a room, there's an audience, and the basketball pundits have conversations. I really want to be a part of some of those. And being a podcast host, I think eventually I'll definitely be able to do that. I mean, hopefully, <laughs> I'd like to be. And that in that, you have to answer questions in front of a room full of people. So that's something, you know, my resolution is to get better at that. And hopefully, I get to show off that new, you know, the new skill that I've obtained through my resolution by by answering things quite well in front of the audience and hopefully hopefully being accepted by the larger group. But, you know, we'll see. But not really one for New Year's resolutions, Chris. But thank you very much for asking. From Canoe Girl, who is part of the new Raptors Queens podcast. It is, well, I guess it's Raptor Queens podcast. It is hosted fully by a panel of women, and it is the first Raptors podcast to do so. So if you are wondering about that, you should feel free to check it out. It's, uh, I think, a cool thing. I think it's definitely a necessity in the market. There wasn't any beforehand. Makes sense that there would be now. There's more and more women watching basketball, more and more women paying attention to sports, and there's probably, you know, a deficiency in that market even with just one. Maybe there should be even more, but that's out there. She is, uh, She's part of that, so that's cool. And the question is as follows. Without revealing who owns what, what kind of vehicles do the Raptors players and coaches drive? Interesting question. I don't know if you want me to think of a bunch of cars that fit their personalities or if you think I actually am privy to the information of what cars that the coaches and players drive. I most certainly do not have any of that information. Uh, Although... Obsessing much at Dimitri Stank 4 says BMW X6 Audi. I know only of those two recently given to players to ride on and promote. I didn't even know about that. So maybe all car related questions should be directed towards Obsession Much from now on. If that is true, by the way, I, I don't know if she works for a dealership and that's how she knows that. I'm not super sure, but I definitely don't know about any of the Raptors, what cars they drive. I know that uh, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry drove around in a Ford Focus from time to time. They had this whole Ford thing going on. I don't know if Lowry is still associated with Ford or if that kind of got chopped in half. I don't know if Pascal Siakam will be associated with the fastest car in the world going forward. I don't know if Fred Van Vliet will be associated with a reliable pickup truck. I'm not super sure. Or if Nick Nurse will whatever a guy with a guitar and kind of a drawl drives, if he'll be associated with that. I don't know, but there's tons of potential for this. I might have to bring Katie Heindel on to discuss this further. This this seems like something we might be able to get into. This seems like something that um, we could make fun. So maybe I'll actually consider that for a future podcast as far as a segment. And uh, thank you for giving me the idea for that. Maybe even on Raptor Queen's you you fine folks could actually you could do that yourselves and maybe you could beat me to the punch of providing something kind of interesting and niche so 
Who's to say? But I don't know what cars any of them drive. I have no idea. And the last two questions are from colleagues at Raptors Republic. Two of my friends, Matt Schantz and Lewis Atzman. I'll read Matt Schantz's first. You have to physically fight one Raptors Republic writer. Who is it? This one was quite easy for me. I responded with a gif of Hot Rod that says, One day, I'll punch you right in the face, and then you'll respect me. I would obviously fight Blake Murphy. He is my dad. I have to beat him up so he respects me. It's a father-son thing. There's always going to be that competitive nature there. Anytime I do good work, he makes sure to message me, put me down, tell me it's garbage. You know, the, the latest of which was him telling me, hey, I don't even read your half of the black box report. I only read Lewis's. He's kind of like a, a dad who abandons his children and and really thrives on them wanting his love. But he's very he's very bad. He's very aloof. He doesn't want to give any of it. He doesn't want any of his kids to get too close. He's that kind of dad. So I have to fight him, make him respect me as a man because he never loved me as a child. So I have to fight Blake Murphy, my father in this industry, a part of the Blake Murphy blogging tree, to earn his respect because I didn't have any of it growing up. But now as a man, I can take it into my own hands. I'll grow my beard out fully. I'll take him on beard to beard and we'll fight. And uh, that's, that's who I would fight, obviously. And the last question from my guy, my buddy, just my best pal, Louis Zatzman. We are the Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam, the Kyle Lowry, and the Navarro DeRozan of the Raptors writing community. If anyone ever claims to be better friends than we are, tell them they're wrong. There is not a more powerful, impactful two-man unit. I know Alex Wong and William Liu do their thing, but, you know, Lewis and I, we got something special going on. We have a joint article. Who else has a joint article? That's, that's the sign of our friendship. So he says, Dear Samson, my wife has fallen in love with a pregnant feral cat that roams our neighborhood, and I'm allergic to cats. How do I solve this catastrophe? This is a good question, and one that it, it deserves some thought, and so I've given some thought, and I'm ready to respond about all the contingencies. So A, you are allergic, so there, it really isn't a viable option to allow this cat into your home to make it a non-feral cat, but your wife does love the cat so the first thing you need to do is assess whether the cat is a risk to you if the if the cat makes you uncomfortable if your throat closes up if you get itchy whatever is happening you need to assess whether that's something you're comfortable with going through or if you think that the escalation of this situation is what you're really trying to avoid that's the first two things if you're trying to avoid the escalation you just tell your wife hey you love me you're my wife Think about my comfort, please. I know feral cats are sad, and you love this feral cat, but I was a feral man once, and you took me into your life, and you made me think that life could be better. You thought that I'll take this Louis Zatzman as my husband, and I'll love him, feral or non-feral, and I'll take him into my home, and he will be my, my husband. So you thought that once upon a time. Please look at that and know that you have to prioritize me over the feral cat. And the other step is, that's obviously, if it escalates, then you just say, hey, this has to stop. You love me. You pick me to marry. You got to stick with me. You know, a feral cat should not tear us apart like this. How can we possibly move forward if this feral cat is being so divisive in our relationship? And if you're just worried about her love for the feral cat right now, 
basically you need to come to grips with what you're you know okay with allowing if there's discomfort there or if you just don't like cats and you don't want your wife associating with them kind of you know there's there's people that you don't like that you wouldn't like your friends to associate with you're like ah oh, why are you hanging out with him man maybe you feel that way about the feral cat if that's the case i think you need to start leaving food out outside your house but eventually start leaving it farther and farther away close enough at first that the feral cat will notice it but farther and farther away and you need to locate another married couple who has a wife with a proclivity for loving feral cats how you figure this out i'm not super sure i'm going to leave that up to you but you have to locate another house far enough away with a, a wife with a proclivity for feral cats identify that first things first then you start leaving the food close to your house, but keep moving it closer and closer to the secondary house with the wife, with the proclivity for feral cats. Eventually, you will relocate the cat to another couple's house with a proclivity for feral cats, and eventually, your wife will just be like, oh, I hope that cat's okay. You will know it's okay. You will reveal to her that you have moved the cat to another house with a proclivity for feral cats. It is now safe, well-fed, and just because of how much money and time you spent, actually quite fat because you fed it really good food and it will make it through the winter and the cat will be okay. That's how you do it, Lewis, okay? You need to listen to me. You need to follow this, this plan step by step. You'll be good. And I swear to God, that's how it's going to work. And that's that's the last question we've gone into today. And I, I hope the mailbag episode was, you know, fun. I hope you enjoyed it. Listener, thank you very much for listening. I'll be back next week with Joe Wolfend, and I'm excited for that. He's a fantastic basketball mind. We'll be happy to break down the Raptors stuff. And as for me, I think th- that's it. Thank you very much for listening, whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day. Thank you all very much for very engaging, fantastic, and fun questions. And goodbye. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee, ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee, ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.